Well, hello everybody and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. And y'all, it's a special, special day. Wednesday, February 21st, 2024 happens to be my wife's birthday. Yes, my wife, the greatest wife on planet Earth, the greatest pastor's wife, especially on planet Earth. Um, today she turns another year older. Um, but really and truly, she is more beautiful than the day that we got married and is a profound blessing. And at some point she will see this. So happy birthday, dear. Right now, it's not exactly the birthday activities that, that one would necessarily want. Y'all may know this and you may not. She's actually a teacher. She she teaches for the, the co-op that my daughter is a part of. And so she's, uh, by the time this comes out, she'll she'll actually be on her way to school. But nevertheless, um, throughout the day, she'll be focusing on things like Latin and and math and that sort of stuff, algebra, instead of uh, celebrating her birthday. But nevertheless, it is uh, it's a great day for us, and and I wish her a very happy birthday. Now, thank you for permitting that indulgence on my part. It's good to be back with y'all today, and I hope that this finds all of you doing very well, no matter when you happen to find this. It's the Lord that has brought you here. The Lord has worked it out so that you can see um, this video that we come to, or maybe you're hearing it on sermon audio, only audio. Um, I've always been told I have a face for radio, so if you're just listening, that's probably a good thing too. But nevertheless, it is good to be back, especially as we continue today, making our way through the book of Acts. Do you remember yesterday what we talked about? Going all the way back to Matthew 10, Jesus gave his disciples the instructions to be as innocent as doves and shrewd as serpents. We see that on display in Paul in Acts chapter 23 when he deals with the Sanhedrin, right? Um, in the midst of all the craziness going on, I, I finally got to the shrewd as a serpent part. In the midst of this craziness where he everybody there is against him, Paul decides to say, whoa, wait a second, I'm a Pharisee and I'm the son of a Pharisee and the only reason that this is happening to me, brothers, is because my hope is in the resurrection. Now, as we talked about yesterday, if you didn't watch yesterday, you need to go back and watch yesterday, not only for the sake of, of our time in Acts, but for the sake of understanding the Sadducees and the Pharisees in Jesus' time, right? The teachers of the law, the priests. Um, you need to understand the dynamics that were going on there. Basically, Israel was a two-party system. Neither of the two parties got along with each other. There was no such thing as bipartisanship. Um, sound familiar, right? So what Paul did in this stroke of wisdom, he, he was innocent as a dove because his hope really is in the resurrection. As he talked about to the church in Thessalonica, our hope is in the resurrection of the dead. But him saying this would kind of be like somebody testifying before Congress and saying to Congress, I don't even know why I'm here. The only reason you have me here is that I'm in favor of transgender rights. And then, of course, all the Democrats would explode on the Republicans for that. And then if they said, you know what, the only reason I'm here is that I support big oil, right? And I, you know, and tax cuts. And, and then all the Republicans would jump all the Democrats, right? It's, it's just such a divided time in our nation's history in terms of, of bipartisan politics, right? It was the same way 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. Paul knew what he was doing. He was innocent as a dove and he was shrewd as a serpent. But now, today we continue on and we see what happens next. And yes, we're, it's like this serial thing where it's 
one thing happens and then another thing happens. And, and we know what the Holy Spirit has told Paul, that difficulty and hardship is going to come his way. Indeed, that's happened. They've already tried to beat him to death. He's already been arrested and put in chains. But we will see what happens next. First, let's pray. Our God and our Father, as we come to your word now, we pray that you would bless us in this time, that you would guide us as we seek your face and as we examine your faithfulness throughout the ages. We, we come to this section today of your word where we see yet again that you intervene. Remind us that you're always working, that you're always working, that we're never without hope because our hope should be in you. So, Father, please work in our hearts at this time, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as I have been doing as of late, we're, we're going to be in Acts chapter 23. Okay, we're picking up where we left off yesterday. But I need to read something to you first. Not Acts chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23. So you can go ahead and turn there with me. But Matthew chapter 23 is an interesting interlude, right? If you know the book of Matthew, you know that. 23 is really getting towards the end there. There's only 28 chapters. Very soon after chapter 23, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be crucified. And subsequently, he's going to rise from the dead and he's going to ascend back into heaven. Great commission. All of these things are going to happen. But in chapter 23, Jesus is still in this time of teaching. He's still in this time of moving about. But chapter 23 is different because in chapter 23, it's known as the chapter of the seven woes, not W-H-O-A, Keanu Reeves, woe, but instead, woe as in woe be upon you. And y'all, um, as a side note, when Jesus pronounces woe upon someone, bad news, y'all, really bad news. He cursed the fig tree, it withered up and it died. Um, Judas Instead of doing with Judas what Jesus did with Peter, Jesus said to Judas, go and do what you must, but woe be upon he that would betray the Son of Man, right? Um, in chapter 23 of Matthew, Jesus is pronouncing these seven woes, and I'll read the, the beginning of it. It says, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. And then he goes on and he talks about the different practices. He calls them things like, well, remember what we heard Paul call Ananias? Right? He said, you whitewashed wall. Um, fast forward to verse 27 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Keep that in mind because of what we've seen, right? Remember Ananias didn't like what Paul was saying and he had Paul smacked in the mouth, right? Those that were around Paul, he ordered them to strike Paul in the mouth. Ananias, the high priest, broke the law then and there. But also what we're going to read today shows exactly who these men are, who these men were. 
At their core, they're murderers seeking to stamp out. Why? Well, if we keep going on, verse 33, Jesus says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. Does that sound familiar? What have we been witnessing with the Apostle Paul? Is it not these very things? Verse 35, and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. Remember I said yesterday that Titus officially would be the one that destroyed the temple in AD 70. Yeah, Titus is the one that Lord, the Lord used, just like he used Nebuchadnezzar to destroy Judah, just like he used Cyrus to restore Jerusalem, all of those things. It doesn't mean that, that Titus was a good man. It means he's the one that the Lord used. But y'all, you want to know who really destroyed Israel in AD 70? You want to know who really destroyed the temple? It was Jesus because he pronounced woe upon them. And then he makes this statement here. Now, Jesus, we know at this point, had set his face toward Jerusalem. He was going, right? And, and we know that, in fact, he's, he's there. And we know what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem, that he's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten, all the things that I talked about before. Ultimately, he's going to be crucified after the crowds cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And then they cried out when Pilate said, well, shall I not release your king, Jesus, the king of the Jews? They said, we have no king but Caesar. And then Jesus makes this statement at the end of Matthew chapter 23. It's almost a moment of reflection, and in it there is sorrow. Matthew 23, 37. Oh, Jerusalem. This is Jesus talking. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, the reason I've read this this morning, is to help paint the picture of what's really going on in our passage in Acts chapter 23. And the fact that what's going on in Acts 23 at this point, it's not something new. Jesus himself peels all the way back to Abel being killed, but then to Zechariah. And he talks about Jerusalem and Jerusalem's tendency, their not even tendency, it's Jerusalem, it's his people's practice to reject the ones that are sent to them, to turn away the prophets with messages from the Lord. And we see it, don't we, Isaiah? Certainly we see it with Jeremiah. I mean, it's all throughout the Old Testament. When God's people were wayward, God lifted up a prophet and they turned against him. Always prone to wander. What do we see with Paul here? 
If you want to know what's really going on, why they really hate Paul, this is why. And to what extent do they hate him? Acts chapter 23, verse 12, is where we pick up today. This is right after the Lord has come to Paul. The Lord himself has come to Paul, stood beside him and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. This is where we find out that Jerusalem was not the ultimate, I don't want to say prize, but wasn't the ultimate destination for Paul. The Lord sent him to, to, to Rome, ultimately, the center of the known world at that point. But what we find next harkens back to the pattern of how the Jews responded to the prophets that the Lord sent. It harkens back to the woe pronounced upon them in Matthew 23 by our Lord. It harkens back to what Jesus said, this desire, this desire, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have longed to gather you to me like a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but you were not willing Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. Acts 23, verse 12. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priest and elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. Y'all remember what I said about Ananias, about me, what Paul hearkened to about Ananias, about you've already broken the law, you've made this court of mockery, so on and so forth. Y'all, the, the, the shade is pulled back, as it were, on the Pharisees and the Sadducees, on the Jewish rulers, on the teachers of the law. They teach the law. And y'all, they taught the law. My goodness, the amount of laws that they came up with and added to God's word. Ridiculous laws that they added just to bind men's consciences, making themselves whitewashed tombstones. Right, They look good on the outside, but they represent death full of the unclean. Anyway, all of, all of that being said, it was, here again, we see this idea of them teaching the law, but breaking it. Because here they show themselves to be what they are, that they're murderers, that they have no regard for law and order. They have no regard for doing what is right in the Lord's eyes and, and following what the Lord has told them to do. All they want to do is kill. And they want to kill they want to kill Paul. Don't, don't get me wrong. They want him dead. But much deeper than Paul. This goes back to what Jesus faced, what all the prophets faced. Yes, it's Paul, but much deeper. They want to destroy the truth. And herein, we find something so applicable to you and me today. The problem that the world around us has with Christianity is not really Christians. And I'm I say that not belittling, not lessening what Christians go through, especially in other countries. Right? We don't even know persecution here. Um, as I say all the time, we got a sign out in front of the building. This is a public you know, Facebook page. It, but around the world, Christians are being murdered for their faith. And I'm not trying to belittle that. But what is really being struck at there is not the individual. It's that the world wants to destroy truth. 
The world hasn't changed, y'all. John chapter 1 talks about Jesus being the light that was the life of men. And it says the darkness tried to overcome the light, but the darkness couldn't. doesn't mean that the darkness doesn't still try to overcome the light, to destroy truth at every turn. And the world, when it has that goal, is so pragmatic. You know what that word means, pragmatic? It's basically the idea that the ends justify the means. That as long as you accomplish what you want to accomplish, it doesn't matter how you do it. You got a bill to pay if you're a pragmatic person. Well, I'm just going to rob a bank or I'll break into somebody's house and steal money and then I'll pay my bills and everything will be fine because the bill's been paid. And they miss the offense along the way. So it is with these people. Now, we see the application there for us. Understand the world that you're living in and what's really going on. Okay, But aside from this, we also see a beautiful thing happen. We see the Lord's intervention. Verse 16, but when the son of Paul's sister heard this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? That's the first hint that we know that the commander is on to something here. He's been witnessing these things. He's been the silent observer. He finds out, remember remember back when he thought Paul was some Egyptian terrorist that tried to lead this uprising? He's wise to some things at this point. So he takes him by the hand. He doesn't just say, well, what you got? No, he takes him aside. Verse 20, he, Paul's nephew, said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now waiting for your consent to their request. Verse 22, the commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him. Don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. So we see that wisdom, ultimate wisdom, comes only from the Lord, and we're to have it as the followers of Christ, but it doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't give special doses of wisdom to those in the world around us. That's what's going on here. The commander gets it. He sees them for what they are, that they're murderers, ultimately. What happens to Paul next? Well, you've probably seen the next chapter heading, Paul is transferred to Caesarea. Again, the, the commander's wise. But nevertheless, y'all, Again, the application for you and me in this is not only what the world is like, but that the Lord intervenes. Though the world wants to kill, though the world wants to destroy, remember what Jesus promised, that he was going to build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. So though the world is plotting and raging, though the world is wandering and wandering, even so, the Lord is sovereign and he's working. This ought to not only encourage us, it ought to embolden us to be about his business, to be fearless about proclaiming his goodness and the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and we pray that you would bless your word in our hearts, that we would be emboldened, that we'd have a sense of urgency even about proclaiming your greatness. Please work in our hearts to that end, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. or that's when the video will be posted. Also, we're going to be here tonight at 6.45, 6.45 to 7.30. We're rolling through Hebrews. Um, but again, thank you all so much for being here. Take care.